like Huey Lewis in the news? Not really. I mean, yeah, I guess they're all right. Their early work was a little too new wave for my taste. Okay. But when sports came out in 83, I think they really came into their own, commercially and artistically. Okay, but like, was it because of Back to the Future? The whole album has a clear, crisp sound and a new sheen of consummate professionalism that really gives the songs a big boost. And welcome to another episode of the Cinema Psych Podcast, where psychology meets film. I am your host, Dr. Alex Swan, and today we're going to have a little fun with maybe a recent American, wink, classic, uh, American Psycho. I mean, it's not... A cup of tea for everybody. But I think one thing we can all agree on is that it is well acted. Well acted. An intriguing story, but definitely well acted. I do have some qualms about the end, which I will get to. But Christian Bale turns in an amazing performance of a guy that is living on the edge of something, you know? So this episode is going to be a solo episode. Every once in a while, I'm going to throw these in there. Uh, I did one um, at the start of the podcast, of of course, that episode zero. And then back in December uh, of 2019, I did another one. And so every once in a while, I'll throw in a solo episode. Uh, you know, my, me and my colleagues are just finishing up, um, the school year and, uh, a bit of a, a bit of a challenging school year, of course, with the, um, coronavirus pandemic. So I thought, you know, I can just do this story on my own and uh, this episode, this show on my own, so we can um, then regroup for future episodes, of course. So today's episode, obviously, is about American Psycho, which came out in 2000, okay? So it's about 20 years old now, 20-year anniversary. And the reason why I picked this movie I'll be honest with you. Uh, my interest was piqued because a friend of the show, Win Good Friend, um, sent my name off to a writer for um, Unilad or uh, Uni LED, however you pronounce it. Uh, and um, he asked me some questions about uh, American Psycho as a psychologist and also as the producer of this podcast, of course. Uh, and um, I, I gave him my thoughts. He and uh, he 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 th- um, uh, very nicely included me in his piece. So I'll talk about that piece in a little bit. But that's the main reason for for choosing this. I think um, if I hadn't been approached to 
um, give my thoughts on the film. I wouldn't have watched it again recently, and I don't think I would have um, picked it to be on the show. I mean, it eventually be on the show. I think it's it's as you'll hear, it's definitely got uh, potential to be discussed in uh, the in a psychological context. Now, uh, with with the with the whole killing and the blood thing and the uh, the the psycho part, I don't know if thematically it's right for a um, a classroom setting. But I mean, to each their own. I've 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 shown some um, R-rated stuff before, and you know, you always get you always want to get the buy-in and and have a have an out for um, or an alternative assignment for anyone who who doesn't want to partake, um, and that's okay. So American Psycho came out, you know, 20 years ago, right? And uh, it, it's got a, like I said, a, a stellar performance by Christian Bale. One of his early adult career uh, gigs uh, where he wasn't really a huge name. Like he wasn't a huge name. Uh, and not until like mid 2000s. So we're still like four or five years out from him being like ma- a massive a massive hit. And uh, so, you know, he stars in this little indie film uh, that was uh, based on the novel by um, Brent Easton Ellis uh, about a uh, New York uh, um, white guy who gets away with anything, right? Uh, New York uh, uh, investment banker is what it seems like and uh, gets away with uh, possibly killing people, right? Um, and it was directed by Mary Heron. Uh, it was written by Mary Heron and Guinevere Turner. They they did the adapted screenplay. And I got to say, um, m- minus a few issues, like I said, I have with um, the way that the story ends, which is not the same as the book. Um, it's actually a well done. It's 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 well directed. It's uh, well written. And uh, I think they do a fantastic job making the content more about Patrick Bateman, Christian Bale's character. I'm sure you've heard Patrick Bateman before. Uh, they, they, they do such a great job of making the film about uh, more than just Patrick Bateman and the title of the 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 film being American Psycho like we can we can expand beyond that of course right and we can kind of look at all of the themes that they wanted to highlight uh, with this film being set in the late 1980s even though it came out in 2000 and uh, how uh, unnervingly similar the picture looks then as it does now right it's just like oh man and so there's not an there's literally not enough um hashtag me too to like cover this film because it is so egregious in many of the ways that we don't find acceptable at all right now these days so you kind of just like you cringe at it like, oh, gosh, this was this was 2000, but also in the 1980s. Oh, God, that was only 20, 30, 
35 years ago. Oh man, that's, I mean, that's, that's a generation. That's the general generational shift right there. So, you know, most of this episode is probably going to focus, of course, on Patrick Bateman because it is a character driven, um, it's a character driven narrative. So there's not much else by way of plot. Um, there is a, a, obviously a loose plot going through the entire film, but it is a character drama. And we're actually just interested in the character of Patrick Bateman himself rather than, um, you know, making sure that there's a, you know, a, a conflict and a, a rising action. And then the, you know, the the crescendo, I forget all of my uh, narrative terms there, uh, the, the and the resolution and all of that. So the first thing I want to I, I want to talk about is uh, Patrick Bateman's life and uh, his sense of self. And he explains it to the audience very clearly because he's the narrator of his own story. Now, should we think of him as an unreliable narrator? I think that would make a lot of sense. It would make a ton of sense to treat him as an unreliable narrator and i'll get to my reasoning behind that in a little bit um but in the beginning of the film uh you see you're introduced to patrick bateman and um he's going through a an interesting routine he's taking a shower he's washing his face then he's putting on a number of creams and then he puts on a on a uh a clear um, facial mask product uh and and all the while he's doing this he's explaining everything about his routine and how he makes him self look like him and strikingly he says this one thing about himself, I'll play, I'll let Patrick speak for Patrick. I live in the American Gardens building on West 81st Street, on the 11th floor. My name is Patrick Bateman. I'm 27 years old. I believe in taking care of myself, in a balanced diet, and a rigorous exercise routine. In the morning, if my face is a little puffy, I'll put on an ice pack while doing my stomach crunches. I can do a thousand now. After I remove the ice pack, I use a deep pore cleanser lotion. In the shower, I use a water-activated gel cleanser. Then a honey almond body scrub. And on the face, an exfoliating gel scrub. Then I apply an herb mint facial mask, which I leave on for 10 minutes while I prepare the rest of my routine. I always use an aftershave lotion with little or no alcohol because alcohol dries your face out and makes you look older. Then moisturizer, 
then an anti-aging eye balm followed by a final moisturizing protective lotion. There is an idea of a Patrick Bateman, some kind of abstraction, but there is no real me, only an entity, something illusory. And though I can hide my cold gaze, and you can shake my hand and feel flesh gripping yours, and maybe you can even sense our lifestyles are probably comparable, I simply am not there. He says that, you know, he, he, he says that there is this potential, this abstract concept for Patrick Bateman, but he doesn't really exist. So we're talking, we're immediately introduced to a guy who who is in the middle of something happening and he doesn't really know what it is to be a functioning member of society. He kind of just gets to do what he wants and, you know, he acts a certain way, he dresses a certain way, he makes himself look a certain way to play a role on, you know, as Shakespeare said, um, all the world's a stage, right? And so he's playing some role of Patrick Bateman. Of course, Patrick Bateman can be anyone, well, any rich white male, right? He can be anyone. And they actually make a point of this throughout the film where he gets confused for other people, which sends Willem Dafoe's detective character sort of off on a kind of a wild goose chase. Um, Never really able to pin the disappearance of Paul Allen, played by also a young Jared Leto, but still around Jared Leto's um, acting time. Like, this was Requiem for a Dream time. So, you know, a small bit role for for. Jared Leto, but a great one as as Paul Allen, not to be confused with the Microsoft uh, Paul Allen, of course. Uh, so, yeah, so we're introduced to Patrick Bateman, quote unquote. Whether or not that is a real human with real human wants and needs, eh, that's up for the viewer to decide, I guess. Right. So his his I would I would characterize this as a walk down the sense of self lane. Uh if we were if we were gonna we're if we were gonna toss this into um you know psych concepts, his sense of self seemingly exists as an amalgamation of uh the, his particular social groups idea of what he should be okay and i think maybe this feeds the psychological issues that he ends up um displaying throughout the film and that's kind of what i want to talk about next i think that's the biggest part of the film right the title says american psycho so you're like oh okay he's a psychopath he is he's a psychopath and he kills people while listening to Huey Lewis in the news. I mean, th- I got to say that in and of itself, if that was the only scene that I had seen that 
uh, in this film, I would be like, wow, that's 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 actually brilliant. What a clever use of an of an unhinged guy and the angles of the interaction with uh, Christian Bale, Jared Leto, the music, the going back and forth across the apartment. Like it, it's 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 a fantastic scene uh, visually. And this is not the medium for a visual, but I mean, I, 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 I'm going to go ahead and play you the, the, the full scene, of course. And what I want to highlight here before I get into the actual psychological uh, disorders that um, myself and, and others have, have um, mentioned uh, in, in that Unilad piece or uh, the, um, which, by the way, I'll, I'll link in the um, episode notes for this episode. The idea that Mary Heron had for this particular scene was not to focus on the gruesome violence of the scene, which is fairly gruesome. Uh, 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 Patrick Bateman takes a an axe to Paul Allen. Like, um, I don't know about you, but... I don't know if I'd want to get murdered by an axe. I feel like that would be very blunt in many ways. And if you didn't get hit in the neck first, like that would be pretty damn like if you didn't get hit hit in the neck first and then also the blows were far apart. Oh, my God, that would that would be so brutal and gruesome. And in this scene. Mary Heron decides, you know what? Nope, I'm going to focus completely on Christian Bale's face. And she actually um, takes the the close up tighter, like throughout the shot. It's it it gets subtly tighter and tighter and tighter on Christian Bale's face, which I think is wonderful. As you see the the um, really small amounts of blood splatter, you would think there's more, but small amounts of blood splatter uh, on who is. quote unquote perfect face and his quote unquote perfect teeth um even though he's wearing goggles i think they would have the blood would have gotten on all of his uh perfect blue eyes i think they're blue (laughs) you could you could possibly get lost in them i suppose and uh yeah all the while it's just focused on uh Patrick Bateman which i think is a brilliant visual way to uh one get away from you know getting this film rated NC17 but two kind of highlight Patrick Bateman instead of the murder right highlight the person instead of the behavior right behavior is obviously awful um and it's obviously a part of somebody who kills for sport or kills for pleasure that sort of thing right like uh, your serial killers like john wayne gacy or uh, ted bundy whatever um where they get some sort of satisfaction from it and he seems to get some sort of satisfaction from it well uh, i suppose um but yeah, but it's more about him as opposed to the deed that he is doing. It's uh, while Huey Lewis and the news um, is playing in the background. Hip to be square. It's hip to be square, you know, uh, because 
That's what Patrick Bateman is. He's square. He's a square guy. Uh, square in the sense that he's kind of a nerd and he's bookish and, and uh, forgettable and uh, not fun, not outgoing, you know, things like that, right? Uh, so it's a fitting, a fitting song, fitting song for a fitting scene. He's been compared to Elvis Costello, but I think Huey has a far more bitter, cynical sense of humor. Hey, Alberstram. Yes, Alan? Why are there copies of the style section all over the place? Do you, do you have a dog? A little chow or something? <laughs> no, Helen. Is that a raincoat? Yes, it is. In 87, Huey released this for their most accomplished album. I think their undisputed masterpiece is Hip to Be Square. A song so catchy, most people probably don't listen to the lyrics. But they should, because it's not just about the pleasures of conformity and the importance of trends. It's also a personal statement about the band itself. Hey, Paul! Let's talk about that psycho thing, okay? So, like I said, we're 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 going down this um we're going down this road of what is going on in Patrick Bateman's head, okay? So there's there's two thoughts about this. Uh, so uh, Cameron Fru, who wrote the piece for Unilab, um, contacted a uh, psychoanalyst um named Steve McCown. Hey, I'm hoping hoping I I uh pronounce that right he is a a clinical uh clinician of of some sort and i am not i i want to put that out there that i am not i um oh he's not wearing goggles i just i just noticed i just noticed the scene he's not wearing goggles yeah so he's getting it all over his pretty eyes but in any case uh so steve so um steve mccown uh watched the film and seemingly uh, comes up with um, narcissistic personality disorder. Okay. Um, and so this disorder, according to the DSM five, the diagnostic and statistical manual uh, for mental disorders, five from the American psychiatric association, not to be confused with other APAs like Amer- the American psychological association or the Am- American physiological association or the American physics association, so on and so forth. APA. Come on now. Let's get it going. Anyway. So the definition of M uh, NPD Narciss- narcissistic personality disorder includes things like exhibits exaggerating feelings of importance or self-importance, excuse me, 
an excessive need for admiration. I've got some I've got some real choice scenes for that one and a lack of empathy toward others. OK, so let's go through e- each of these. Now, this is not an exhaustive list, of course, but it exhibits exaggerated feelings of self-importance and the excessive need for admiration. The, the scene that epitomizes these two things is incredible. It's the business card Patrick, scene. Thanks so much for looking after Courtney. Dorcia, how impressive. How on earth did you get a reservation there? Lucky, I guess. That's a wonderful suit. Don't tell me, don't tell me, let me guess. Mm, Valentino Couture. Uh-huh. Mm. You look so soft. Your compliment was sufficient, Louis. Hello, Halber Stram. Nice tie. How the hell are you? Alan has mistaken me for this dickhead Marcus Halberstram. It seems logical because Marcus also works at PNP and in fact does the same exact thing I do. He also has a penchant for Valentino's suits and Oliver Peoples' glasses. Marcus and I even go to the same barber, although I have a slightly better haircut. So how's the ransom account going, Marcus? It's, uh, it's all right. Really? That's interesting. It's not, uh, it's not great. Oh, well, you know. So how's Cecilia? She's a great girl. Oh, yeah. I'm very lucky. Mm-hmm. Hey, Alan. Congratulations on the Fisher account. Thank you, Baxter. Listen, Paul, squash. Call me. What, Friday? No can do. I got an 830 res at Dorcia. Great. Sea urchin ceviche. Dorcia on Friday night. How'd he swing that? I think he's lying. Is that a gram? New card. What do you think? Whoa. Very nice. Look at that. Picked them up from the printers yesterday. Good coloring. That's bone. And the lettering is something called Cillian Rail. It's very cool, Bateman, but that's nothing. Look at this. That is really nice. Eggshell with Romalian type. What do you think? Nice. Jesus. <laughs> that is really super. How a nitwit like you get so tasteful? <laughs> I can't believe that Bryce prefers Van Patten's card to mine. But wait. You ain't seen nothing. Raised lettering, pale nimbus, white. Impressive. Very nice. Mm. Let's see Paul Allen's card. Look at that subtle off-white coloring. The tasteful thickness of it. Oh my god. It even has a watermark. It's mostly narrated by Patrick. But then here we have a bunch of dudes that are working in the same office, this, you know, investment banking office. We have no idea what they actually do because it's not actually important. They're all just filthy rich um, and they flaunt it. Uh, But the idea is about the self-importance and need for admiration is embodied in these cards. And these cards look exactly the same 
to any layperson, to any schmo walking down the street, like, hey, here are these two cards. Do they look the same? Yeah, they do. But no, it has to do with how Patrick embodies the subtle changes, the bone as opposed to clear white, the lettering, the capitalization of the first name versus the last name. They All of their cards say executive VP or executive vice president. Um, you know, so it, it's not like any of these guys are any different from one another. They're all white. They all have slick black hair. They all wear suits. Um, you know, they all have these really boring, I'll say it, boring business cards. And yet, because Paul Allen had a better business card than Patrick, here you go, Polly. You did. Uh, so, you know, you get on, you get on Patrick's r- bad side and, and, you you end up meeting your doom at the blade of a really well polished axe. It's uh it's incredible actually. It's incredible. Uh, okay. So and then and lack of empathy toward others. Well, I I mean that's clearly the case. Uh, in many scenes, but one scene uh, in particular at the beginning of the movie when he's when he had uh. When you think he'd murdered somebody and he's trying to get the blood out of dry cleaning and uh, he's yelling at the there. It's based in New York, of course, because these investment bankers work on Wall Street. So, I mean, he's yelling at um, I, I believe they are of some East Asian descent uh, at the dry cleaners because they can't understand what he needs and what kind of linen it is and whatnot and they're trying to tell him no we can't get out blood and he's like starting to say uh very racist and uh very bad things you know so yeah um i'd say he checks all those narcissistic personality disorder boxes what do you think if you've seen the if you've seen the film i'd like to hear what you have to say about that do you agree with this um uh clinician or not the other thing uh, Steve says uh, in this piece is that uh, he has borderline personality disorder. Borderline personality disorder. Make He's very emotionally unstable. He has extreme thoughts and acts without too much thought, uh, which makes him extremely dangerous. Now, I don't know a lot about borderline personality disorder, so I will only give my two cents as far as what I've seen of these things in the film, because he does. These are characteristics of somebody with borderline personality disorder, uh, definitely emotionally unstable, though I will say that it appears he has some sort of triggers with this, um, and it, I mean, it has to do with, uh, I, I would imagine, his ideas of masculinity um and the fragile um white masculinity that he expresses in the film which is so well done by mary heron by the way and and guinevere Guinevere turner um taking that uh narrative and putting it on the screen like it is 
but in any case, he does all of these things. I think borderline personality disorder is one of those uh, one of those disorders that um, has a clear. Uh, f- this is from my perspective. Again, I'm not a clinician, but has clear uh, behavioral uh, uh, markers. Right? We can we can see this, and um, that quote-unquote diagnosis, I think, is better than one that you might hear a person without any training in psychology. You know, I'm not talking about me, uh, because I do have training in psychology. It may not be clinical psychology, but I do have, you know, some training in it. Just some. Uh, and, uh, you, you know, you, you contrast what, what, uh, professionals of psychology might, uh, characterize as behavior versus what somebody else would. And, and that word, that word is psychopath or psychopathy, right? Or sociopath, sociopathy. And there are no clinical definitions for those two things. There, there, there's no, there's no clinical definition for what that is. Okay, for what psychopathy is and what sociopathy is. And we, we, uh, if you uh, want to catch a previous episode, uh, take a listen to the dark triad stuff in episode thirteen. Uh, Wind, good friend, and I discuss the film Joker that just came out in 2019. Uh, and the dark triad personality traits as it as it speaks to uh, as it speaks to uh, psychopathy, okay, or or somebody being a psychopath. So I want to mention that um, psychopathy is not uh, like I said; it's it's not clinical, okay. Uh, at the at now. Because now psychopathy is classified as antisocial personality disorder, okay? Or dissocial personality disorder. Uh, so when you hear the term psychopath, you kind of have to, to take a step back and you're like, okay, well, what, what, what are classically, what are traditional psychopaths, right? Um, you have the antisocial behavior, which, you know, is impaired, which also includes impaired empathy and remorse. We see those in the films. Um, and then bold, disinhibited and egotistical traits. Right. That's all apparent there. So that's why I think American Psycho just works, because you have the idea of what um, psychopathy is. And you're like, oh, yeah, that guy's a psychopath. He's a psycho. Right. And he's American. There you go. Roll credits, right? So, <laughs> um, but it, 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 we could, we should, we should use antisocial personality disorder if we're going to be talking about clinical. Now, um, it is used somewhat in the criminal justice system. Because it has consequences. Acting in this way, acting, acting, acting in a psychopathic way has implications 
for what sort of punishments or consequences the individual is going to have. Okay, so this is an interesting foray into the language that we use to describe somebody. Is he a psychopath? Well, yeah. But if I was going to sit and try to diagnose him as a clinician, I wouldn't be like, dude, you're a psychopath, man. Why are you killing all these people? I'd be like, it seems to me that you suffer from some personality disorders that um, are typically seen uh, as dangerous and uh, uh, and potentially harmful to folks, right? So we, you know, we we don't want to call these these people crazy, insane, mentally ill, right? Uh, also, a psychopath might have an idea of what they're doing, might be fully aware of what they're doing. And um, if we were gonna if we were gonna label uh, Patrick Bateman as a uh, as one or the other, I would say that maybe he is aware of what he does. Now, here's the kicker. Here's the kicker. So one of the... Now, you don't have to have all of the symptoms to be classified. So like, well, it doesn't have one, so he's not it. Okay, time to move on. We need to find other people. No, 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 no. Uh, One of the things that I think is very striking to me, one of the traits that is expressed by psychopathy slash antisocial personality disorder, I'll just combine them um, for the sake of this argument, is that the impaired empathy and remorse. So here's the thing. Here's the thing that I wanted to mention about how the ending doesn't really tickle me very much. Um, So, toward the end of the film, Patrick uh, essentially feels like uh, the detective is is going to corner him, just figuring him out, knowing that he killed Paul Allen, right? Um, And so, he kind of has this breakdown I'll come back to the idea of a breakdown as well. Like, I have so many layers of this. I have so many layers of this analysis. So he he goes on a, essentially a killing spree because he's running away. And then he finally makes it to his office and he's like, whoa, I got to call my lawyer. And he's crying. He's like, I did it. I did all of it. I killed them all. Uh, I killed this guy over here. I killed this woman over here. I killed Paul Allen. Um, I, you need to you need to help me. And so on and so forth, right? He's leaving this all on this uh, lawyer's answering machine. Howard, it's Bateman, Patrick Bateman. You're my lawyer, so I think you should know I've killed a lot of people. Some escort girls in an apartment uptown. Uh, some homeless people, maybe five or ten. Um, an NYU girl I met in Central Park. I left her in a parking lot behind some donut shop. I killed Bethany, my old girlfriend, with a nail gun. Uh, and uh, some a man, a little, some old faggot with a dog. <laughs> Last week, I uh, I killed another girl with a chainsaw. <laughs> I had to. She almost got away. And uh, there was someone else there. I can't remember. Maybe a model, but 
<laughs> She's dead too. And uh, Paul Allen. I killed Paul Allen with an axe in the face. His body is dissolving in a bathtub in Hell's Kitchen. I don't want to leave anything out here. I guess I've killed maybe 20 people. Maybe 40. Uh, I have uh, tapes of a lot of it. Uh, some of the girls have seen the tapes. I even, um... I ate some of their brains. And I tried to cook a little. Tonight, I, uh... I just had to kill a lot of people! And, um... I'm not sure I'm gonna get away with it this time. So, uh, I mean, oh, I guess I'm a pretty, uh, I mean, I guess I'm a pretty sick guy. So, if you get back tomorrow, I made you up at Harry's bar. So, you know, keep your eyes open. And so this impaired empathy and remorse, does he have some sort of empathy and remorse for the actions that he did? I actually think yes. I'm, I'm probably in the minority in this one, but it's how I read the end. And uh, what, 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 happens at the end is that he finds his lawyer uh, the next morning in this restaurant and his lawyer is essentially saying I don't know what you're talking about I don't know who you are um I had lunch with Paul Allen in London which was part of the fake uh alibi so to speak uh for Paul Allen's disappearance right so he's like I had lunch with Paul Allen in in London please sir let me go I don't know who you are and um and this was this was uh uh this was preceded by a visit to the uh to Paul Allen's uh apartment where he had stored a number of bodies and and um pretty much had a very gruesome setting over there because he uh one of the other things that he did was um uh only have sex with sex workers and then he pretty much killed them most of the time uh, not all the time but most of the time he killed them uh and so that was pretty much what his sex life was with sex workers um and 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 he goes in and he's frantic and he's asking the realtor who is selling it uh what you know this is Paul's place why is it not dirty and she's like I think you need to leave. And you're like, oh, hmm, okay. So all of that happened. He goes and sits down. Sits sits downs. Uh, he goes and sit. Uh, with he goes and sits. Wow. With his um, with his coworkers, his quote unquote friends, and the camera just just tightens. Uh, the close-up on him it's just a just a a nice tracking tight shot uh 
coming in to Patrick Bateman's face as he's narrating about how he feels about what just happened and how he's going to how he's coming to terms with it and he says that this prison has not given him a release he doesn't feel free from whatever it is that he is suffering from by the world cleaning up his white man mistakes. Right? There, there is a huge bit of undertone there that uh, the remorse is there. I strongly believe it. And I, I will, I will gladly, um, I will gladly debate anybody who feels that he does show zero remorse. And, I'm mostly with you on it, but I really think there is some remorse. Now, what what is the release that he wanted? Maybe he did want to go to jail. Maybe he wanted to be free of the urges and issues of what he considers a fake world, what he considers a fake person in Patrick Bateman, right? If he had to go to jail for murdering Paul Allen and other people, maybe, maybe, just maybe, he wouldn't have to put up the charade anymore. And that's obviously uh, mucho speculation, but uh, I, I think it's it's I think it's there. I think it there are underpinnings there. The problem is, it ends right. The 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 film just ends there. It just ends on his face. Uh, in that tight uh, one shot um, close up and and you're like, wait a minute. We what? No, 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 no. We need to explore that a little bit more. Uh, I, I understand it seemingly brings the entire narrative around like a nice tie little bow on the narrative, but I I feel like it ends too abruptly. And I may also be in the minority there as well. Uh, but I, I feel like as, as far as pacing goes, like the last 15 minutes are really, really, really hurried. And they don't necessarily need to be. Um, so, yeah, that's and, and, and narratively speaking, film make film wise, filmmaking speaking, that um, that's my only major qualm is that it that it ends a bit too suddenly a bit too early i think we could have explored that a little bit more oh maybe maybe okay the last thing that i wanted to discuss was uh one major theme that i picked up in uh for the entire film and it 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 goes back to an earlier um it goes back to an earlier comment that I made when I first started describing the film in the episode, and that was that um, the the film was made by two women, I think, that who wanted something to say uh, or had something to say about um, the the role of pornography. And the treatment of women in this time, in this time period, you know, it, it, uh, you ask, you get asked the question, 
you know, the, the it, it's endured for 20 years. Why is it still so popular when clearly Patrick is an unlikable guy? And I disagree with the fact that he's an unlikable guy. Uh, I think on its face, I think anybody could be. Uh, I mean, we get to know him intimately, but I think if you were to meet him, you'd be like, oh, yeah, he's nice slash nice looking. Um, and so I think Christian Bale's performance is the main thing that has led this going, but I think also it gives us a a window into, yeah, this is actually, uh, really crappy for its, um, treatment of women. Like this is, this time period is awful. Uh, and you know, other time periods, notwithstanding, of course, uh, because those were also awful, especially ones before that. Right. And so um, (laughs) I think it was a funny observation that I made when I was answering questions for the interview. Um, You know, some people might actually like uh, Patrick Bateman for his uh, removal of one yuppie butthole uh, in Paul Allen. Like, oh, yeah, kill Paul Allen. What a douche. You know, uh, <laughs> you're like, yeah, do it, man. Kill that guy because he sucks. I, you know, that's certainly a take. But I think what's the bigger take here is the is the uh, thema- themes of uh, power and uh, control and treatment of women. Uh, and it, it and there it's it's very subtle all the way through, although. Um, 20 years later, I think it's actually fairly easy for anyone to pick out what doesn't fit, uh, what's not going to fly in 2020 kind of behavior, right? He treats his, uh, he objectifies um, his secretary, uh, his assistant, and tells her what to wear and what not to wear, what makes her look good, what doesn't make her look good. Um, He asks her out on a date. He almost kills her. But then he is interrupted Um, and then she eventually finds his journal. The only sex that we see him have is with sex workers and uh, he works out in the morning to pornography on his TV like it it does squats and stuff and crunches and push ups with 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 porn on. And you just got to wonder, like, what? This is actually a really important piece of information about who Patrick is, right? Obviously a young, powerful man, but also being a young, powerful, especially white man, is incredibly, incredibly important to thinking other people, especially, you know, another gender, are beneath you and that you have control over them, that you can make them do whatever they want because you have money and and you can treat them however you want because nobody's going to get in your face about it. And we find out that we find that out later, of course. Nobody's going to get in your face about it and it's all going to be smooth sailing and I can do and say whatever I want. And 
I think it's very well done because it's not too in your face. You kind of have to pick it out. It's not the thing that's most glaringly obvious at you. And I think that's a, I think it's a really, I'm just going to say it. I think it's a really good movie to describe how even just third, I mean, obviously the, 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 the movie set in, in 1988 or something like that. And, and the movie was made in 2000, but even, um, even in a generation, you can say, well, look how, look how the elite class, the, the upper class, um, were able to operate. And this is America, Donald Glover, right? So, yeah, it's relevant, and I think it'd be a great, it would be, it's it's a useful, I mean, of course, there's a lot of useful um, popular media out there for discussing um, women and and, and gender uh, issues, but I think this is a good one. I think it's a real good one, uh, because it's uh, not too in your face. Yeah, that's what I'll say. Uh, But I have, but I have... Actually, one more thing that I wanted to say. And that is, I'm going to put a, a uh, I want to put a, a little worm in your brain about one thing that each time I watch the film gnaws at me. Just like this worm, brain worm, is going to do to you. If you want to watch it again with this top-down knowledge, I uh, implore you to do so. It's a it's an interesting one. So we talked about how we talked about how Patrick is probably just a narcissist with anti antisocial personality disorder. Okay, kills people for fun, shows little to no empathy or remorse, and uh, is emotionally um, unstable. Sure, that that's probably right. Uh, the clues that you get at the end were that, you know, he, he because he was so rich and powerful that he got his stuff cleaned up for him. But what if we were to take the uh, the path of did any of it happen? Did any of it happen? And I'll give you a couple of points for this one. Now, one of the points I'll say does require you to know a little bit more about the uh, the uh, background, the 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 behind the scenes of the film. So, if you if you're not familiar with it and you're you're not like super invested in in knowing the difference, like my second point's really not going to get get you. So, my first point is okay. My first point is that this never all happened was that uh, it goes back to my earlier point of him seemingly like he has some remorse and maybe he wants some freedom from the demons that exist inside him. Right. And so he is, he has some semblance of reality, but also a break from it. So yeah, the point I'm trying to make is that, um, he is suffering from some sort of psychotic break. 
goes back to so my 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 second point is that it goes back to him thinking that Patrick Bateman is a uh, is a concept is an abstract concept that that exists in some way, right? Um, my third point. This is the one. This is the more outlandish one. My third point is so. I recently um, watched a video on YouTube. Now I can't remember what it was called, but I recently watched a uh, video on YouTube about the movie and uh, about American Psycho. And um, one of the things that I learned was rather interesting, and uh, I think is evidence for my psychosis point. Mary Heron told Willem Dafoe to act each scene. Like in three different ways. One, like he knew that Patrick killed Paul Allen. Uh, Two, he didn't know and he had no idea that Patrick killed Paul Allen. And three, that he was unsure. He was trying to figure it out. So a little bit more suspicious uh, but also trusting, suspicious but trusting would be the third one. And she filmed Willem Dafoe doing this three times in every scene that he was. And then she went back with her editor and spliced in each of those performances. So every time uh, the camera cuts from Patrick to the detective, Willem Dafoe, it would be a new way that he did it. And then it would cut back to Patrick and then it would cut back and it would be in the, one of the other ways. Cut back to Patrick and then it'd be the other way, right? And so imagine imagine you are Patrick in this moment and you're like, does he know that I that I, that I killed him? And, and you're like trying to catch all of the subtle ways in which knowledge changes our nonverbals. Right. How we we um, make our facial expressions, uh, our intonations and all of these things, our inflections, all of these things are, are come from us based on what we already know. And if we're having a conversation about knowledge and trying to figure out questions, you know, an interrogative sort of situation, of course, the way that you ask questions and receive answers is going to change based on those three ways. And so you have Patrick Bateman, who's like, wait, what? Does he know? No, he doesn't seem to know. Wait, mm, I'm not sure. And, and so that, that obviously leads then to the, um, leads to the, uh, interesting exchange at the, uh, at the end where he thinks that he's been found out. And uh, then goes on the the murder spree because he doesn't want anybody running into him uh, or, you know, running off and telling someone. Uh, So, yeah, did it all happen? Now, you could interpret these the two scenes that I said of the end, the one at the uh, at the restaurant uh, interrogating the lawyer who's like i don't know who you are and then um the the scene right before that where he's at paul allen's thing and there's nothing is clean and she says you need to leave these could all also 
be real responses to his break with reality. Like, who are you? Get out of my face. Yeah, Paul Allen's in London. I had lunch with him 10 days ago. The want me to call him? Like, did Patrick really kill him? I don't know. I don't know. The, the, the realtor at Paul Allen's thing. You need to leave. The look she gives him, maybe, is, we know what we did for you. Stop being here because you're being placed at the scene of crime. Please, please leave. Or it could be like, hey, crazy person. I don't like the cut of your jib. And I think you need to leave. Right? It could be, it could be just that. It could be just that. So, is he a psychopath? Or is he psychotic? Hmm. I don't know. I think it's a good question, though. And I think it's a question that I will leave you with. Thanks for listening to this solo episode of the Cinema Psych Podcast. I really appreciate all of the support I've heard from a number of you over the last several weeks. And uh, I, I really do like hearing um, that people are listening and that they really enjoyed this episode or that episode and and um, keep it up, that sort of thing. And so, again, I'm going to keep up with the challenge because... I think it's a great challenge, and if you can keep doing it, please keep doing it. Hey, maybe you don't know 15 people because you did the last two episodes worth of five people, five people, but you know what? I'm going to give you the same challenge. I would like you to now find five new people to share this podcast with. Five new people. Not the same ones that you you shared with before. Five new people and say, hey, I, I know you like this movie, Listen to this guy talk with this other person, unless it's American Psycho, then listen to this guy talk to himself about this film and the psychology in it. Guess what? You're going to learn something and it's going to be amazing. You know, tell somebody they're going to learn something in a uh, an enjoyable way. Boom. You've got you, you, you're, you're sold. You're sold. You, you've sold it. Right. You've sold it. Five new people, five new people, share an episode, share the show with them, get people talking about this. Uh, I mean, again, um, (laughs) people are listening and people are sharing and I just want to keep it going. I just want to keep it rolling. I think uh, I, I enjoy every moment of doing this show. And on that note, until next time. Thanks for listening. 